Well, confession time. First service, I completely botched it. I, my, my power was off, and I was in the back. I, my eyes were closed. I was just worshiping, and it's still silent. I look up, and Dave's like, it's your turn to pray. So, oh, yeah. So we got caught up in worship. And so, I, and I thought about that, and I think that's what it should be like. We get caught up in worship when we come here on Sunday, and we remember who God is and why we came to worship him, and there's such incredible uh, peace in, in having those moments. So that's my confession for the morning. Other than that, I'm perfect, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I just lied. Now I'm not. So, hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I know it's been said before, but uh, this morning I really do want to share a message, not just for the dads, but for everybody in here. And, and I was thinking about this. I heard about some first graders who were asked to draw a picture of God in their Sunday school class. So they're just drawing all kinds of pictures and obviously not matching up with the theology of who God is. But these little first graders are hard at work. One had a picture of a rainbow. It's like, that's okay. That's your picture of God. Another one had a picture of an old man like peering over these clouds. That was their, their thought of what God looked like. Another little boy drew a remarkable resemblance to Superman. That's who God was to him. But this little girl sort of won out when she said, I don't know what God looks like. So I just drew a picture of my daddy. And I thought, man, that's, that's, that's precious, isn't it? But what a great answer. And what a thought that should be sort of launches into today's message. But I, I think about that. I, I never understood the value and importance of fatherhood until 24 years ago. Um, I was blessed to have a father who was loving and generous and faithful and hardworking and humorous and definitely godly. And uh, I'm, I'm sure my father learned that from his father and so forth. Uh, but I, I look at that and, and I think, my dad wasn't perfect, but I know he loved God. And I was truly blessed because he was trying to imitate his heavenly father to the best of his ability. And I'm thinking about that as I'm writing this. I'm going, that's important. That is so important. Because you see, fathers, we have an important role in life. Listen carefully. Our children must see a godly example. And they're going to look to daddy to see that godly example. You know, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Matter of fact, that's what Jesus said in, in the book of John 14, 9. He goes, he's looking at Philip. He goes, Philip, haven't I been with you long enough to know this? And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. That's what he told his disciples. Just as when you look at Jesus, you see God. When you look at Christians, we should see Jesus. We should see a godly example. Fathers, therefore, we need to display godly characteristics. Patience, self-control, selflessness, and so much more. I heard about a guy who went into a grocery store on his way home from work. And, and as you all know, when you go into a store and you start going down an aisle, you run into somebody. And then you go down to the next aisle and well, you run into them again. And you just, like, yep, see you in aisle four, Right. Well, this gentleman, as he goes in the grocery shop, he runs into a gentleman, and he's got his little three-year-old boy in the car, and the little boy is just like crying, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar. You know, he's starting to scream, and, and um, the dad looks at his son, and he goes, now, now, Billy, this won't take long. It won't take long, Billy. 
And they get into the next aisle, and that three-year-old is still, it's, his cries are getting a little bit louder now, and he's becoming a little more unsettled. And the dad is quietly saying, oh, Billy, just calm down. We'll be done in a few minutes. Just calm down, Billy. Well, then he passes the same dad and his three-year-old by the dairy case. Now he's screaming uncontrollably, and the dad is still in a very low, calm voice. Billy, settle down. We're almost out of here. Dan and son reach the checkout counter, and he's at the checkout counter. Now nah, the boy's just loud as can be, screaming, right, yelling. Dad's like, Billy, we'll be in a car in just a minute, and, and then everything will be okay. The gentleman, he's standing behind watching this old go down, and he's like, I can't believe how calm this man is remaining. And he goes out with the screaming child, and he quick pays for his stuff, and he follows him out to the parking lot. And he's getting out right behind him, and he's getting ready to tap him on the shoulder. Before he does, he hears him say again, Billy, we're done. It's going to be okay. And he taps the man on the shoulder, and he just says, Sir, I couldn't help but see how you handled little Billy. You're amazing. The man turned around and goes, Oh, his name is Wesley. I'm Billy. Yeah, the dad had to talk himself through that one, didn't he? Fathers, we must display patience. You may have to call your own name over on, on occasion just to settle yourself down, right? But dads, we, we have to display that patience, right? We have to display selflessness. One of my favorite scriptures from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, it says this. Don't, display, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And I was thinking about that. I need to have the same attitude as Christ. I need to be selfless. That's hard sometimes, right? I heard about another man who got home from work and he looked over in the yard and he saw a dad playing catch with his, with his son. And he's like... Man, he's got a hard labor job, and he's, he's going to probably throw his back out, and he's not going to be able to do his work. And, and he sort of yelled over at his neighbor, and he said, Hey, Jim, you know you shouldn't be doing that. You're going to have a backache after all this. And his neighbor looked back at him and said, I'd rather have a backache now than a heartache later. And I thought about what that meant. There's a lot of wisdom to that response. And I put a quote up there by Eric Ritz. He said this, we should be participants in our child's life and not spectators. We must know them at playtime, at study time, bedtime, mealtime, family time, and worship time. If we come to know them, then the reverse is true. They will come to know us. You see, I want to display godliness to my kids. I want to display patience and selflessness and, and godliness. And fathers, we must do that. We must be godly examples to our children. But how do we do that? Now, this is where I'm just going to take the word father out and throw this out to the whole church. How do we become godly examples for the rest of the world to see? Whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a father or mother, whether you're a kid, whether you're a single person, whether no matter where you are in life, what age? 
How can we be a godly example to the world around us? Well, here's how we're going to, here's the answer. It's really simple. Okay, it's not as hard as we think it is. We find the answer in the Bible. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The answer is this. We follow God's word. How do I be a godly father? How do I be a godly example? How do I be a godly uh, example as a teacher, as a nurse, in law enforcement, as a business person, as a parent? How do I be a godly example? By following God's word. The author of this psalm is unnamed, and I guess if it was important, God would have given us the name, but... No matter who the author was, this author compiled this psalm. I mean, it's, it's a long psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And as you look at this psalm, the way it's pieced together, it's as if one author said it's like instead of a, a chain link, you know, that it's all linked together, it's in sections. So it's more like a pearl necklace. Each has individual values sitting next to each other, but not like a chain that's linked together. That's a good way to describe this psalm. But understand how it's arranged. It's arranged in sort of a acrostic pattern. See, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So you look at our alphabet, okay? Now think about the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters. There are 22 sections in this psalm. Each section has eight verses. Each section begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is verses 1 through 8. The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is 9 through 16, and so forth, all the way through the end of the chapter. Every verse of every section begins with that letter of the alphabet. So if you were to memorize this chapter, just remember the Hebrew alphabet, and every verse in that first section goes with the first letter of the alphabet. Every verse in the next section goes with the next letter of the alphabet. It's amazing how this was constructed. And it's remarkable for other things, too. It talks about God's word using different terms. Law, instruction, word, judgments, regulation, testimonies, commandments, structure, or statutes, decrees, precepts. As I was studying this, I got into verse 1. It talks about the instructions of the Lord. But then I, how many times is that Hebrew word used through the rest of Psalm 119? It's like 20 plus times. Well, then I get to verse 2 and it says the law, which is similar to instructions. But that Hebrew word is used another 20 plus times throughout this psalm. Basically, out of the 176 verses in this psalm, 171 refer to God's law, word, instructions, decrees, commandments. What an incredible chapter. Because here's the thing. The words, the laws that are in here come from where? From God, from his mouth, from his heart, from his mind. When God Speaks from who he is into his word and gives that to us. It's not just, oh, that's a good command. No, no, no. That's from the mouth of God. That's from the heart of God. Think about that. Let that settle and understand. And this whole chapter focuses on just that. And being the longest chapter in the Bible, it has incredible then historical interest. People are writing books on it all the time. Next to Romans, probably chapter 8, this is probably another big chapter of the Bible that everybody looks at. Matter of fact, people have memorized it. 176 verses. Famous uh, British writer, nobody's probably heard of before, John Ruskin, right? Nobody knows who that is. But the second gentleman up there on the screen, you've all heard of, his name is William Wilberforce. 
He's the politician who led the movement to abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. He memorized this whole chapter. David Livingston, a pioneer missionary to Africa, memorized the whole chapter. Matthew Henry, a great 18th century commentator, he was introduced to this chapter from his dad. And his dad said, here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do, son. Read one verse and just focus and meditate on that verse every day. Next day, read verse 2. Next day, verse 3. You're going to get halfway through the year and then go back to verse 1 and do it again. In one year's time, you have gone through this psalm twice in a slow, methodical, meditated manner. Good, good advice. George Wishart, nobody's ever heard of him before, right? He was a bishop back in the 17th century. He was condemned to death because of his faith. Because he was a believer in God, he was put on the execution block. Before he was going to be executed, here's what you're allowed to do. You are allowed to have a psalm sung before they execute you. So he's like, I'd like Psalm 119 sung, please. Why not? It's a long one. It's going to take a while for them to sing this one. Because here's why he did it. He was waiting to be pardoned by the judges and be released from prison and execution. But the pardon was late in coming. He thought he was going to be saved and said he's going to be executed. So he gets on the chop block, basically, where he's going to be killed. And they start singing Psalm 119. They got through two-thirds of the psalm, and his pardon arrived, and he was freed. Great story, right? Why am I telling you all that? I don't know. Just because when I look at this psalm, there's so much to it. There's so much background to it. And so I want to bring it to you now as a challenge, I guess, as a Word of God that needs to be heard. So follow along with me, Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to have Andy Pena read it. Just kidding, just make sure you're paying attention. Let's go verse 1. Joyful. I just want to keep some of you on your toes right now. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Verse 3. They do not compromise with evil. And they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I'll not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. That's the first section. Now, I want to go back to verse 1, so just carefully look at some of this. Let's look at verse 1. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. What are people of integrity? Well, back it up. What are joyful? Joyful is happy, blessed, joyful. I am happy. I'm blessed. I'm joyful if I'm doing what? If I'm a person of integrity. Integrity means to be, um, to be perfect, to be, without, uh, to be unimpaired, to be wholesome, to be like a, a land that's without blemish. We're going to offer a lamb for sacrifice. It had to be without any kind of defect. That's what we're talking about here. In Deuteronomy, it's up on the screen there, verses 32-4. It says, he, referring to God, is the rock. His deeds are what? Perfect. There's that word. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. So in beginning to describe man's joyfulness and happiness and being blessed, the psalmist starts with the idea of it begins with being a person of integrity. When you are making the right choices, when you are doing the right things, when you're doing that which is wholesome, you're blessed. 
But for some reason, all the way from the past to now, people think like, eh, you know what, you need to be rebellious. Because if you aren't screwing up, you aren't having fun. And we sort of, sort of hint at maybe it's okay not to live a life in integrity because that's all boring. Yet the one who walks with God, according to the scripture, says that's where you find blessedness. That's where you find happiness when you are being a person of integrity. The one who follows the instructions of the Lord. When we walk on God's path that is wholesome and true, we find happiness. We find some joy. But right off the path, lurking over in the shadows is what? Evil that sort of calls out our name. Hey, just go ahead and disobey. Just come off the path. Have some fun. But you know what's off the path? Shame, disappointment, depression. To truly enjoy this blessing, we have to understand, it, it is not just standing in one place. It's, it's following the Lord. It's moving forward. Matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon said this, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. A man may sit down in a road without soiling his skin or fouling his apparel, but that's not enough. There must be progress, practical action in the Christian life. And in order to experience blessedness, we must be doing something for the master. Basically what he's saying is, church, it's not just about coming in here and sitting and listening to his word. We must be walking out then in his word as well. Anybody can sit in a good path for a while and stay out of trouble. But we must learn to walk forward in life, move forward in life, and stay on that path of integrity. Look at verse 2 and 3. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in his path. This is, when we look at this, like, joyful are those who obey his laws. Oh, who obey his laws. That's a verb, right? So I need to do these things. No, it's a... That obey is actually a noun. It's used in a noun form. It's a person who says, I am watching over these commandments. I am keeping these commandments. Well, what are you obeying? I'm obeying God's laws. I'm a person of his word. That's different than verse 1. In verse 1, it was instructions. Now, this word law is like testimonies. It's a witness. Joyful are those who hear the testimony of God and say, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to be a person who hears the testimony of God and does what he says. And I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to act one way and do another way over here. I'm not going to say one thing and say another thing over here. Or I'm not going to say one thing and do another thing over there. I'm not going to compromise. Look at verse 4. You've charged us to keep your commandments carefully. See, God's not commanded us to be diligent in making new laws, but in keeping the ones that are already there. We're charged. We're pointed. We're commissioned to keep, to observe. It's like putting a hedge around a garden. I'm going to protect what's in the garden. We are charged by God to keep that which is in here safe. Verse 5. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Now, this is where I had to stop when I'm writing this sermon, and I'm sitting there going, do they? Do my actions reflect God's word? Do my actions, my behavior, imitate that of God? Third John 
verse, chapter 1, verse 11 says, Dear friends, don't let this bad example influence you. Look what it says next. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. Those who do evil prove that they don't know God. By our actions and behavior, people will know what path we're on, right? Look at Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. I saw a picture. It's, in, uh, it's called Journey with Messiah. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible book of photography, of pictures of Jesus in modern-day situations that point out Scripture. And this is the picture that I, I saw in there. And, and, and I love it because this is really Ephesians 5.1. This is 3 John 1.11. This is Psalm 119, verse 5. You see, imitating is reflecting, and reflecting is imitating. And it's not only a sincere wish from the author. It is a plea. It's a prayer for the ability to obey God's word because he knows apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I can't stay on path sometimes. I do not reflect a heavenly father sometimes. So I, just like the author, I have to plead, I have to pray, God, help me with this. Oh, that my actions would reflect you, God author basically is coming down to this saying, if I'm going in the right direction, if I'm reflecting his law, his word, his statutes, his testimony, his instructions, I'm happy. I'm blessed. I want to reflect what's on, what I'm seeing in his truth. Right? Look at verse 6. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Again, where do we find our directions? How do we make our boundaries in our life for our moral thoughts and our actions? On the path that's in God's word. Off the path, that's my own choosing. I find moral failure off the path. When I mess up, when you know people that make a big, bad choice, we sort of you know, define people's sin if we want, you know. That moral failure is where? It's, it's off the path. It's outside the boundary. And that's when we feel what? Ashamed. We experience a feeling that basically opposes the joy that we talked about in verse 1. That I would not be ashamed, he says. Look at verse 7. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. As I learn, as I train. For those of you who got animals in here, you ever train your animal on your own? 4-H maybe. Maybe you got a pet you're trying to train. Teach your dog to, to sit, roll over. And all. That's a lot of work. Maybe you've been trained as an athlete. Maybe you had to train somebody on a job. Maybe some of you have served in the armed forces and you've had to go through military training of some sort. That's what we're talking about here. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical movement and training in which you are going to be making effort to set yourself apart from where you first started. As I train in God's righteous regulations, that is, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart from everything else. It's like a judge who decides a case. The judge says, here's my verdict. And I make the verdict. And we're like, yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that one. Now, I just threw my hand up. You know why? Because the word here for I will thank you is I will praise you. That word in Hebrew is yada. Yada means to shoot arrows, to throw into the air. It's like 
pumping your fist up and saying, yes, I will praise you, I will thank you. And this morning, as I looked out at some of our singing, some of you were yada. You were praising God. You were throwing your praise up to God. And the psalmist says, and when I learn your righteous regulations, when I hear, God, that you've just made a decree that is pretty doggone good, yes, love that decree. I stand with you, and I thank you, and I praise you, God. See, that's active participation. That's not sitting in the trail. That's moving forward in your walk with God. Verse 8, I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. Don't forsake me. This psalmist knows, and he loves God, but he's also very conscious to his ability to mess up and fall off the trail. And he's like, God, when I mess up, don't leave me behind. Don't forsake me. Don't give up on me. So let me, let me summarize this psalm. And I'll use it with a picture. But let me summarize it in ver- in, in, uh, vocally. It's all about this. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about walking with him on course, on trail. Walking steadily, step by step, and not just standing in one place in our life. I'm blessed when I do my best to follow and move forward in my faith as I'm following Jesus. Not going off course, not walking off into my own selfish ways. He gave us the right way. He gave us directions to walk. 171 times out of 176 verses, he tells us this. And when I do go off trail, I have regrets. I will be ashamed, and I don't want that. So thank you, Lord, for speaking straight to my heart to help me stay straight on this path. You don't hide how I live or how I should live or where I'm walking. It's pretty clear. He makes it clear. And I learn the pattern of the righteous ways, and I walk in those ways. I observe the path and how it's marked. I'll follow it. I'll do what you tell me. Please don't walk off and leave me alone. That's basically a summary of this chapter. That picture is a summary of this chapter. Jesus' command is, come on, follow me. I know you're going to have to pick up your cross. It's going to get hard at times. But follow me. Follow me. Now, why am I sharing that this morning? Let me back up to the beginning. Remember what I said? I want to be a godly father. I want to be a godly example. Whether, again, wherever you are, married, single, grandma, grandpa, a child, a youth, we all need to be examples. And how do we do that? By following God's word. It's important that we understand there are laws, decrees, statutes that are very worth following. We must follow. I say that because right now we are living in a time when commands, laws, and decrees sound like dirty words. Because there's, there's pain or disappointment, whatever may be going on, we assume that, you know what, God's way isn't working, so I'm just going to choose my own way. And we live in a time when people are rebelling against rules. We've seen it over the last couple of weeks, but listen, we've been seeing it for centuries. It's just now, it's just being happened to be thrown in your face a little bit more. At work, in the classroom, in marriage relationships, in sports, in life, 
we are driven by power, by lust of money or fame, whatever it is do, we want to win at all costs. So to win at all costs means I might cheat at some sort in time. I might cut corners. I might trail off the path a little bit. Well, I know the path goes this way and it's going to wind around that way, but here's the deal. I am going to cut off the path and I'm going to take a shortcut and go over there. But off the trail is not where we need to be. We have rules, laws, boundaries for a reason. Rules provide order, maintain cultural direction and peace. And it seems like today we're living in this decline of morality which directly conflicts with the rules and laws that are in place. Some of these rules are binding and restricting. Yeah, I get it. But they're life-giving. Let me give you two examples to help you understand. First of all, anybody ever driven on a road like this before? Up in the mountains? Some of you are looking at this and go, oh yeah. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But there's probably, if there's two of you in the car, there's one person who's driving. It's like, wow. And they're probably like, whoa, look at that over there. And you got the other person in the passenger seat that's like, keep your eyes on the, eyes on the road, both hands. And I do not want to look over the edge, right? Some of you are like that, right? So the picture on your left has no guardrails. The picture on your right has guardrails. We know and understand what guardrails help do. Now, they may not completely keep you from going over the edge. But those guardrails, if you're driving and you get a little too close to the edge, boom, you hit that guardrail and that brings you alert and it keeps you back on the trail. Without that guardrail, you're off the edge. It's called death. God's word is like a guardrail. There are times when we veer off to the edge of where we should be walking with the Lord and God's word sort of crowds us back. It's like, mm, you're getting close to a place you do not want to be. You follow me on that, church? Let me give you another picture. This is a fish tank right here, okay? I want you to think about the sides, the walls of that fish tank, right? It seems pretty restrictive sometimes, some of the fish that we have. If you have an aquarium, it's like, well, I've got a little fish bowl. It's like, that, needs, that fish needs more than a bowl. It needs a tank. And it's like, no, it needs more than a tank. It needs a bigger one, right? It's like, we always need something bigger and better, right? And think about the fish on the inside. Fish on the inside are like, man, I feel pretty restricted in here. I would like to get out there where there's so much more room. If I could just get out there, I see a nice couch over there. I'm tired of these little pebbles in here. I want to go sit on the couch. Matter of fact, I want to hear some music. I'm going to put me right next to that subwoofer over there, okay? I'll crank it up. Come on. Hey, big screen TV. Can somebody just take me and go put me in front of that recliner and in front of that big screen TV? And I'm just going to kick back and, and watch, I don't know, find an emo or something. I like that movie, right? Or I, just give me a couple magazines. I see a magazine stack over there. How about I go over there? There's probably a Playfish magazine in there or something. It's going to get me really going, right? Okay? Because that's what it is. There's so much pleasure out there in different ways. If I could just find a little bit of pleasure, okay, this is going to be good. But this tank is restricting me. Somebody just get me out of this tank. All right. Pop you out of the tank. What happens to that fish? Starts flapping around, right? And then a couple more, and then one more. And it's done, right? And then it meets the toilet bowl or something like that, right? Okay. That fish needs what to stay alive? The fish bowl, the fish tank, right? Well, let's just, let's just knock down the walls. No rules. No borders. Just knock it down. What happens? The water's gone and fish is toast, right? 
That fish needs the boundaries to hold the water. It's life-giving. We have forgotten that in life, God's word is like the walls of our life that give us life, that keep us from going out into a place, into a uh, other set of a boundary that's going to hurt us and bring death. Sometimes as I think about this, as fathers, we want to tell those stories to our kids. Hey, I'll tell you about the time I broke the rules, you know? And we're like, like yeah, I did some wild things. You know, we want, to, we want to share those, okay? And I understand that. Been there, done that, right? So those moments are going to happen in life because we're human. We sin, we rebel, we step outside the tank, so to say. But here's the thing about instead of bragging about the things we've done that are wrong, we should teach our children how to do right. We should go back and, you know, and change the things we've done, but we can't, can we? But hopefully we've learned from them. And those are the things we share with our kids. You know, I made some dumb choices. I don't need to go into detail and tell you about my dumb choices, okay? But I want to tell you how about to make some good choices. I want to tell you about God's word. I want to tell you about the joy I'm experiencing when I'm in God's word and I'm following that path. I want to wrap up this morning's um, message with recognizing a group of men that have tried their hardest to do what I'm talking about here in Psalm 119. So I I look at, you know, that picture of like, and I know there's a lot of people in this church from, from our volunteers and nursery and children and ladies that have been in women's study and men have been in men's study. But I want to recognize a group of men that have basically taken nine months out of this past year and said, I am going to solely focus on God's word. I'm going to meet every week for two hours with a group of men and just get into God's word. I'm going to memorize scripture. These group of men are have been a part of something called Every Man a Warrior. So basically, 15 men from our church and uh, Sam Hornish Jr. and Tyler Tanzel uh, came, I don't know, last year, and we were talking and, and talked about this Every Man a Warrior. So Tyler led one group, Sam led the other group, and uh, we had two groups going. And uh, it's, it's not just a resource. It's not just a Bible study. Every Man a Warrior is more than that. It's a way of life. It's an accountability it's developing who you are as a disciple of God. And so memorizing God's word, studying and learning had incredible value. And today I want to just take a little moment to recognize uh, the men that were a part of that on that journey because their journey came to an end about a month ago as they wrapped up their nine months. And now there's quite a few of those men that are like, we're going to start a couple more. And I know they'll be up here in a little bit. If they could hand them a microphone, they'd, they would all probably say, if you weren't a part of Every Man a Warrior... I invite you to be a part of Every Man a Warrior. Because in August, we'll do it again. Anybody that wants to be a part of it, we'll probably have two, maybe three groups. And the men that were a part of it are going to help lead it. That's their next role, is to step forward. Um, sometimes it's, it's hard for men to step up and lead in godly ways. Um, so we could, we could use your prayers. And I'm not just talking about the 15 men from our church. I'm talking about everybody in here. So women, I'm going to ask you this. When, when women chase after a man who's rebellious or, or doesn't care or doesn't encourage her husband or another man to do godly things, that doesn't help. So be an encouragement. Children, when, when your dad gives you some rules and boundaries that maybe you don't like, but they're good for you and you know it, don't, don't battle your dad. That doesn't help. And men, when we hang out with other men and we are reckless 
or we don't take serious our call to be good fathers, that doesn't help either. See, all of us have a role in encouraging one another to work in love and unity, to follow God's word. Men, it's hard to take directions at times. I get it, but we're the ones who must lead. And that's not being arrogant. That's being biblical. We must lead. And it's not being a dictator. It's being a person of confidence who says, I need to lead. I need to show my family how to lead. And it's not always easy. And I think that's what was beneficial to the men that were part of Every Man a Warrior. Because we were able to lean on each other and say, I, I could use help with that. I can too. A lot of times it was a good confession for one another. Now, we didn't cover this this morning, but if you were to read on in Psalm 119, get to the next verses, verses 9 through 11, say this, how can a young person stay pure? Listen, everybody always asks, well, how can I do the right things? How can I make the right decisions? It's answered by obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I remember that verse. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was one of those verses I remember as a little kid, right? But it's so true. We hide God's word in our heart. We memorize God's word in our heart to help us stand. I'm going to show you a little clip of 17 men. And we memorize, I want to say, around 30 verses in this time period. And you're going to hear 17 of these verses uh, right now. In these trying times, remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have a great day and enjoy God's beauty. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 38. Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Joshua 1.8 Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Joshua 1.8 James 1.22 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Hebrews 12.11 No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have trained by it. Hebrews 12.11 Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 1 Peter 4.19 so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 1 Peter 3.7 You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. 1 Peter 3.7 Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of life and death. 
Proverbs 18, 21. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Mark 4.19, with the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Mark 4.19. James 1.2-4, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James 1.2-4. 1 Corinthians 6.20 from the New English Translation says this, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Hey, True North family, uh, Scott Brown uh, doing verse uh, on behalf of every man a warrior. Uh, just wanted to take a quick second and thank uh, Sam. Uh, appreciate his time, dedication, inspiration. Um and everything that he is uh, that he has done for us through every man of warrior, uh, in leading us into uh, our spiritual growth as uh, as men, um, fathers, husbands. Um, my verse is uh, Matthew 28, uh, 18 through twenty. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Thanks. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy and excellent, think of these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put these things into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 6-9. We almost had to cut uh, Josh off there. I think he's going to go through the whole book of Philippians. So, uh, well done. And again, we can't obey God's word if we don't know God's word and memorize God's word. Now, I put those men, uh, 17 men, on, on the spotlight, not to lift them up above anybody. Okay? But to show you what they were doing. And they want more to join them. So the call is out to all the men in here. Doesn't matter how old you are. You saw all ages up there. Starting in August, we're going to start a couple more at men's groups of Every Man a Warrior. It's a nine-month commitment. It's very well worth it. And some of these men, they're going to be leading the next ones. So you just let me know if you want to be a part of it. We invite you to be a part of it. But I, again, I share that with you because I want you to know that these men, it, getting into God's Word has changed their life. They'll be the first to admit that. I want to ask those men as I call off their names. Some of them are here for a service. A couple of them are on vacation. Uh, but if I call your name, could you come up here and just stand up here? And I'm going to pray for you. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up as well. Brad Myers, Sam Hornish Jr., Eric Leininger, Joe Turo, Jeff Smith, Lupe Cantu, 
Tyler Tanzel, Derek Rupplinger, Dave Chumchall, Les Lolfs, Matt Gehrig, Trace Newcomb, Steve Frucci, Paul Porter, Scott Brown, and Josh Green. As I said, first service, they're all across the stage here, so I'm thinking there's going to have less than half the second group. Yep. Can you stay right down there? Yep. So like I said, if I give these men a microphone and said, hey, tell me what it means to you, we would be here another two hours, okay? Maybe three. Uh, it had that big of an impact. But again, not to spotlight them, because I know there are many people in this room who over the years have been growing spiritually and doing mighty things. This morning I share this because it fits in with what I'm preaching in Psalm 119. Um, I want to ask you this. Would you, would you all please stand? We're going to pray for these men. I'm going to pray for our church. And then we're gonna, they're going to have a seat and we're going to sing, sing together our last worship song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are and being such a good God, an amazing God, an awesome God. And you give us your word to help us stay on track, to stay on path. And we want to follow your word, Lord, but we know it's challenging at times. Lord, I thank you for these men and for the commitment they made and the scripture they memorized and studied on a weekly basis, a daily basis. And Lord, I know it's changed them. As fathers, as husbands, as a husband-to-be, as men who want to honor you, I thank you, Lord, for the journey they've had and for what they're going to do to continue. I pray, Lord, that as they lead the next group of men, some of those men right here in this room right now, prayerfully be a part of that in August. Lord, we know it's life-changing. Lord, for all of us in this room, may it be an encouragement to us to get into your word. Because God, we do want to reflect to you. We do want to be godly examples to our children and our grandchildren, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our spouses, to our families. And the only way that we can be a godly example is to be in your word walking on a path that is obedient to your instructions and laws and testimonies. So God, we thank you for this morning, what we've learned. God, bless these men, bless this church, and we will continue to follow you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.